0: I'm Gary Bard, founder and editor in chief of today's Caregiver Magazine and Caregiver.com, and your host for our weekly caregiving podcast series. In this podcast, we will introduce you to many of the leading caregiving thought leaders, authors, experts, and even caregivers with famous faces who have graced the covers of our magazine. Kim Callanan is the president and chief executive officer of Compassion and Choices. Kim has played a leadership role in authorizing and implementing medical aid in dying into six new jurisdictions, including the recent passage of the New Mexico's End of Life Options Act. She also launched the Finish Strong Initiative designed to empower patients to take charge of the final chapter of their lives, with a specific focus on helping people plan for a possible dementia diagnosis And closing the disparities in end-of-life care and planning that exists for communities of color. And it's such a pleasure to have you here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Kim, we were so pleased to have John Hagedorn and Michael Farmer at the last, to date, in-person Fearless Caregiver Conference, which was held in Florida in February 2020. They spark some really insightful interactions with the caregivers and attendants and help caregivers understand the mission of the organization. Can you tell us what we as caregivers need to know about compassion and choices?
1: Sure. Um, Compassion and Choices' whole mission is really about helping people to finish strong. And I can use my um, father-in-law as a great example of this. A couple of months after I joined Compassion and Choices, um, Mm -hmm. he unfortunately um, went in for surgery with stomach cancer. And when he came out, um, he was told he had days left to live. And most people, when they receive um, such an unexpected and dire prognosis, Um, really go into a state of despair, um, and it results, and then the caregivers and the family don't know how to react either. But my father was so, or father-in-law, was so clear about his values and priorities and what it was that he wanted to do in his last days, that he was able to help all of us um, kind of get on board with his plan, which was to spend every minute Um, with his family and friends saying goodbye, making amends, and leaving final impressions. So from a caregiver perspective, um, you know, every person who dies is not going to be like my father in law. In fact, I can tell you very few are. From a caregiver's perspective, the most important thing that you can do is be open to that conversation with your loved ones. Because what often happens is the love, the person who's dying is very clear what's happening to their body and what they're going through. Um, And oftentimes it's the loved one who is not able to let go. And that creates a really, really difficult and long goodbye for the dying person. And it happened with my grandfather as well. My mom was a hospice social worker by that time. And his hospice social worker went to her and said, Connie, you need to let him know that you're ready, that it's okay, because he's ready, and he's only holding on for you, and he's suffering, um, and she needed she needed help. While well, she did that with lots of other families, it was different when it was her own father, um, and she had to really rethink about it and, and recognize that the most important thing that she could do as his caregiver was hear and understand where he was at in his um, end-of-life journey.
0: How do caregivers fit in the philosophy of patient-directed care, what roles do we play?
1: Um, So the most important role that the caregiver plays, or there's really two, is first becoming really clear about what the patient wants. What are the patient's values and priorities? And we have this amazing end-of-life decision guide, as well as our dementia values and priorities tool that the caregiver can do along with um, their loved ones to get clear about what um, that person's values and priorities are. The second really, really important thing, role that they play is then advocating for care that's consistent with their loved one's values and priorities. Um, And then the third role is helping to ensure that the rest of the family and friends are on board with whatever um, the dying person wants in terms of their final wishes.
0: During this time of COVID, how have you seen that change people's views of -of end-of-life care and advanced plannings? If it's changed it at all.
1: Yeah, I definitely have seen a shift taking place, um, a much greater awareness that medical interventions um, and medicine cannot relieve all end-of-life suffering. And I think pre-COVID, many people lived under the false impression that medicine could take away all end-of-life suffering. Um, and now that has come um, front and center as a, a real recognition that that's not the case. Um, the other thing that we've seen is people recognizing um, that um, they really need to plan and think about what um, they would want at the end, um, and I think the hardest thing um, early on in COVID, and it still takes place now, but is those poor people who died by themselves hooked up to machines and hospitals? And um, I think there was a real awareness from people that if there is a way to avoid that, that that is what they would want. Um, and you know, with COVID and with the rules around it, it was really hard. Um, but that same scenario does take place. Um, and people don't even aren't even aware that they're kind of allowing um, medical interventions to result in a death that's inconsistent with what they would want. There may be people that are around them, but oftentimes people end up hooked up to machines in a hospital dying when they really would prefer to be at home alone.
0: Have you seen people's uh, opinions and thoughts about end of life choices and the work that Compassionate Choices do, does? Have you seen that changing over the years?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it has been incredible. Like there is definitely a movement that's afoot um, and much greater awareness about both the importance of end-of-life planning, as well as the importance of um, autonomy um, at life's end and having the ability to direct your own care. And um, you can just look at the advancement of medical aid and dying as a symbol of that. I mean, that's really one medical practice that gives patients a greater voice and choice in the kind of of end-of-life care that they receive um, because they can request and obtain from their doctor prescription medication should they want to end their suffering. And, you know, six or seven years ago, it was authorized in four states. And then in 2015, when Brittany Menard came forward and shared her story, um, along with her husband, Dan, and partnered with Compassionate Choices, we authorized California. And that catapulted the movement forward. You had this beautiful 29-year-old woman who simply wanted to be able to die on her own terms. And people really um, connected to her. Um, And since that time, we've now authorized um, six states in six years, we just reauthorized California, we authorized New Mexico, and it's really not about the small number of people that will choose the option. It's about the symbol. It's about the fact that it demonstrates that patients have a voice and a choice, and it really shifts and changes the whole conversation around end of life um, from a much more paternalistic system to one that is more patient-directed.
0: How do you ensure your loved one's advanced directives are honored and what happens if you run into a medical provider who's not supportive of their advanced directives?
1: Those are great questions. Um, So first of all, I would say pre-planning is really, really important. And there's two important aspects to the pre-planning. The first is the written paperwork. Um, getting all of that paperwork in order. And so that, of course, is important. And I would encourage people to use our end-of-life decisions guide and coupled with their state advanced directive forms. The second one is choosing a really, really solid healthcare proxy. And I think people often default to whoever is closest to them. If you're married, that might be your husband. Um, And what I would say is to really step back and think about whether that person is really the best person to speak on your behalf. Um, It could be that they are. I've seen many scenarios where spouses are excellent um, at serving in that role, but I've also seen a lot of scenarios where they are not, and um, that person is already going through a tremendous amount of grief and pressure. And the question is whether or not they are going to be able to advocate and separate out their own emotions from what you would want. I would also say that um, thinking about and figuring out in advance what your values and priorities are, and then surrounding yourself with a care team that is going to honor them. So we have this great tool on our website, it's a little postcard, um, where you ask, you interview your doctor about their, your end of life wishes, and you make sure that they're gonna be willing to honor and follow your wishes. Um, There are a number of health systems that are guided by ethical and religious directives. And in those scenarios, If you uh, end up on a ventilator and you would not want to be on a ventilator, um, they are obligated to keep you on that ventilator because of those ethical and religious directives. So you also really want to research and understand the hospitals and health systems that surround you. It used to just be a hospital, but now hospitals own entire health systems with clinics and doctor's offices all falling under those ethical and religious directives.
0: I've heard you say that you'd like uh, Compassionate Choices to be able to transform how people live and die with dementia. What do you mean by that?
1: That's a great question. Um, so um, I, the, my work around dementia comes, uh, and our work, you know, stems from talking with thousands of supporters across the country, looking at survey data, and from my own personal experience with my grandmother. Right now, unfortunately, people treat it like there's an either or. Either um, you're, you know, you're allowed euthanasia, which is not allowed and not legal in the United States um, for a whole host of, of reasons, um, or you have no options. But that's not the reality. The reality is you do have the option to forego other treatments if you preclaim your voice. And you can cut years off of the length of time that somebody lives with advanced dementia. We have this amazing tool called our values and priorities tool that allows you to, it goes through the common markers with dementia and allows you to identify what level of care you would want at various different points within a dementia diagnosis. Um, so I encourage people to use it. Um, if you want all available care and you want aggressive treatments at the end of life, that gives you that option. It also gives you the option of identifying a point where you may want less care to allow another disease, um, to end your suffering if that's how you're, if that's
0: where you are. What's a medical aid in dying? So
1: medical aid in dying is um, a medical practice um, that is authorized now in 10 states in Washington, D.C., where a terminally ill person who has a prognosis of six months or less to live is able to request from their doctor a medication um, that allows them to end their um, suffering if it becomes too great. It's entirely patient directed, and there are about 13 steps to get through the process, so it's not easy to do. Um, but as we talked about earlier, it really puts the patient in the driver's seat of their end-of-life care um, and really changes the way end-of-life care is delivered in a state after
0: the law has been implemented. Kim, what's some, one most important piece of advice you'd like to share with family caregivers?
1: Um, I guess I would say that um, how one dies um really is important, both to the dying person, as well as to those people are left behind. And this movement has evolved and grown because people have watched their loved ones unnecessarily suffer. So when you're in that caregiver role, consider it a gift to yourself to have a conversation with your loved one about what their values and priorities are. It will make caregiving a lot easier. It takes the guilt and the guesswork out of Um, your caregiving and allows, um, puts you in a position where um, you are honoring and respecting um, the dying person. Um, So um, I know a lot of people think about end of life conversations is really difficult and tough to have. The reality is all of us are going to die. It's 100% guaranteed. Um, Not having that conversation um, results in a tremendous amount of unnecessary suffering. And so I would encourage people um, to do it both for your loved one, but do it for yourself as well. Um, you know, find that person that, you know, is going to speak on your behalf because none of us know when our time comes. It could be today, tomorrow, or it could be 20 years from now. Um, but having that plan in place will make a huge difference for
0: the, difference for the people around you. And from experience, I can tell you, um uh, it, it's also quite a relief for the family caregiver to know they've had the conversation yeah. and they know they're doing what their loved one wanted and they're honoring their wishes and their requests yeah. even if it goes against what they may or may not want to do
1: yeah that's really true Gary and it's so important you're absolutely right